If you enjoy this episode of Obscure Obsessions, please remember to rate us, review us, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. And now, Mini Obsessions. The only George Miller movie that I don't think I've seen is Happy Feet 2. I'm pretty sure I've seen... Yeah, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen that one. I know he did a documentary that that aired, I think, on on Australian TV called 40,000 Years of Dreaming, which was... A, oh, you told, told me about that. Yeah, one, right? I, I've never seen that one. But aside from that, the only one I haven't seen is Happy Feet 2. He's got a very interesting filmography. Mad Max's Twilight Zone. Oh, maybe... I, I must have seen that. That one feels like I saw it. That one's... On, is that the one I'm obsessed with? Which one? Twilight Zone the movie? Yes. You, yes, because those, those are the all episodes of the remakes. That's the one where it has the tragic story behind it. Yes. Yeah. So I was... <laughs> but apart from that... Oh, I know I was thinking of it because this summer we watched 3,000 Years of Longing. Right, Which right, was right. probably his, his more recent film. And I was thinking about what am I going to... What was I going to recommend today? What was I going to recommend today? Mm-hmm. And my birthday is in a few days. Right. We don't say the age because I, I, I honestly stopped counting at a certain <laughs> point. And I was thinking about the great gift, the, the stellar gift that you got me, well, both this year, but particularly last year was a... was a Godzilla, Godzilla. right? Godzilla. And I the thought... Criterion you, the Criterion collection. The Criterion collection of the original Showa era, which I believe goes from 1954 to... 1972 and for the average viewer the average schnook it's very complicated the godzilla yeah it's it's something i have a hard time because there's there's multiple series that that began and ended there was the ones in the 90s and that they're named based upon the reign of the emperor of the time Okay, so I see. I don't understand exactly, but there was the original ones from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Those are the ones that people tend to make fun of a lot. Mm-hmm. Then the ones from the 90s, which were the ones that I grew up watching. Grew up with. Then there was a short series in the early 2000s. Yeah. And then there were these more recent ones. And I thought in honor of your great gift, I have to pick a Godzilla film to recommend. All right. I've been on a bit of an international kick recently. And I yeah, thought, I you know, say. I, I have to... Broadening our horizons. I have to mention a Godzilla film. So I went and I rewatched every single Godzilla film there was. <laughs> no, that's not true, but I have done that. And where to pick, which one to choose from, what's the one that's really going to benefit humanity, my Is choice? Is it Destroy All Monsters? No, no. Well, that's a good, that's an okay one. See, here's the thing. Some of the Godzilla films, the early Godzilla films were actually good. Yeah, yeah okay, by today's standards. Silly. Some of them. Then later on, by the time they hit the late 60s and people were really exposed to Godzilla films, the problem became that when they were shown in America, American producers would take the films, haphazardly chop them up without any semblance of artistic concern or any notion of continuity, shoot really cheap footage with American actors, insert them into the film, and then do those famously bad dubs. Mm-hmm. Hello? No. His Sports Illustrated swimsuit did come in. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, my God. That whole thing came not from the Japanese films. And then they would rename them. And that's where this idea that the early Godzilla films were bad. Yes. The later ones are very cheaply made by the Japanese. We watched a really terrible one last year 
called All Monsters Attack, where he was. Oh, that's the one I was. He was a little boy and not very. But you were also saying that by that degree, they had just decided, well, here's a way to make an easy buck. We're not even going to finish shooting a movie. We're just going to take footage from a previous movie. By that point, they had committed to these are going to be for kids. But the original Godzilla film, which I rewatched the other day, Mm -hmm. I hadn't watched it in 12 years. Don't ask me how I know that, but I hadn't watched it in 12 years. It is very somber, very depressing, and it's a very well-crafted metaphor, an anti-nuclear war produced in 1954, less than, way less than 10 years after the end of World War II and the Mm -hmm. bombings. But then I decided to think about, well, do I want to recommend that one? No. I want to recommend what I consider to be the most underappreciated, underrated, and in fact, overlooked Godzilla film of all of those. Of of those, I don't even know how many, from 54 to 72. It's called Godzilla Raids Again. R-A-I-D-S. And it's not Godzilla trying to kill ants with the raid bug spray. That would have been an amazing movie. I think this this movie is often totally omitted from any kind of conversations about Godzilla films. Even among fans of the genre, you don't hear them talk about this film at all. You hear them talk about the original Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla, right? Uh, Mothra versus Godzilla, which is probably the best of the sequels. It's the fourth one. It's definitely the best. But I think Godzilla Raids Again needs more appreciation. I am not only the head of the Bo Bridges fan club, I am going to start a petition. I'm going door to door. I'm writing my congressman saying we need more respect. We need Godzilla Raids Again in every household. I want it on every table every night. Godzilla Raids Again is the second Godzilla film ever. Which, oh. if you, th- it's almost... Imagine like the size of the universe and the fact that it takes 10 years to get to Pluto. It's sort of hard for the human mind to comprehend or Mm -hmm. the fact that the universe is ever expanding. It's hard to kind of understand. Similarly, the fact that there was a second Godzilla film when we were in like the 30s or 40s by now of, of Godzilla films. This Godzilla film is often put down by fans as being a cheapo rushed knockoff because it came out five months Five months after the original Godzilla. This was in 1955. This is also the second and last time that Godzilla was in black and white. The original Godzilla is in black and white. It's also the first time that Godzilla fights another monster. In Mm. the original Godzilla, he's fighting the human being. Right. And this is the movie that really begins to establish the format that nearly, not every, but nearly every Godzilla movie takes. takes where Godzilla has to fight I think there was the Godzilla returns in 1985 where he doesn't fight another monster I could be wrong about that one even in the Gareth Edwards first when he fights sure. another those uh, Muto. Muto but Godzilla raids again is also worth checking out because it does something that almost no other Godzilla or giant monster movie since has really successfully done which mm-hmm. is create characters that you're even remotely interested in. And at the heart of Godzilla Raids, again, is an actually a kind of a sweet love story. It's three main characters, really. Two guys who are pilots and a woman who is the, uh, the air traffic controller. And in the story, 
You have the handsome guy who is in love with the air traffic controller and his portly funny friend ah. who is his other the other pilot. He crashes on an island and they find out Godzilla is there and he's fighting another monster. Now, I forget and I've watched these movies a sickly amount of times is that at the end of the original Godzilla, Godzilla dies. Mm-hmm. He very clearly is dead. And this movie and the 15 or 16 that followed in this series are all a second Godzilla. It's not the same Godzilla from the first film. It's another of this species. species. And in the movie, they find out a second Godzilla lives and he's fighting a big armadillo monster and he's going to come ashore in Osaka Mm -hmm. rather than Tokyo. And yes, the story unfolds in ways that are quite similar to the original Godzilla film. But one of the other things I really like about this movie is the black and white, it covers up some of the zippers, shall we say, some of the more plastic qualities Mm -hmm. that when you have it in color, the the imperfections can be hidden better when it's in black and white, specifically because it's a big monster. Right. And there was, I I think it was Samuel Fuller who said something that black and white is more realistic than color. And if you think about it, there's some truth to it that there's something about a black and white that you don't get distracted. Color is distracting. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a good thing, but in this, it's a great way of covering up some of the deficiencies. And I think that this movie with its characters, because there's the love story and then the chubby friend, he gets a little something that humanizes him. Mm-hmm. And it's not a, in a lot of these films, you're always saying, Oh, when are we going to get back to Godzilla beating the crap out of some other rubber face monster? And in this, you're at least interested in the, they're, they're charming. They're good performances. They're mm-hmm. maybe not three dimensional, but they're two well, and a half. Dimensional. I would argue too, that a fair number of Godzilla and giant monster type of movies seem to suffer the issue that the human characters that you have to spend a lot of exactly. time with are really unfortunately written and they're just not particularly interesting. That's right. And in the first movie, they do have characters that are interesting. And I believe that, okay, not as good as the first Godzilla, not the best of the sequels, but a very strong underrated movie that is nonstop interesting and, and entertaining. It's definitely entertaining. It maybe doesn't go to the same thematic depth or it's not as somber as the first film but it's certainly not as kitty and cheesy as the later films and if it also did start up the eventual trope of godzilla fighting another giant monster i mean that's an important and in this one he, he fights uh Anguirus, who is a big armadillo dinosaur <laughs> okay and in later films Anguirus becomes his ally uh, he was sort of a, a proto-Rodan in a way, where Rodan later became Godzilla's. I don't remember in which one. I think it's in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, where, or maybe Invasion of the, of the Astro Monster. It's one of those where they dub over Godzilla and the monster's thoughts. So you hear them having a conversation oh, no. with each other, but they've been dubbed like, we need to kill these human beings. They're not very nice. Okay, Godzilla, <laughs> I'll do that. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. And this is on HBO Max. It's relative, It's 81 minutes. Okay, that's good. And I think 
it's a film that deserves a little bit more attention and respect, especially among Godzilla fans. I can't say it's the third best, but it's definitely the most underrated. The best one is the original Godzilla. Mm -hmm. But in terms of monster fighting would be uh, Mothra versus Godzilla is a great one. And you and I last year watched finally the Japanese Japanese version of King Kong versus Godzilla, which was never available in this country. It was only that really terrible uh, Americanized which was which was called localized when they would they would do that they would call it localized because I guess it sounded nicer. But Godzilla raids again. I demand, I demand it. Okay. More respect. You decree it. I decree it, and it's a great film. Uh, well, no, it's not a great film. It's a fun film. It's a fun, entertaining film, and it is one of the few that manages the enviable task of making human beings interesting mm. when you have giant monsters beating the crap out of each other. And one last thing about this that's sort of interesting. I was reading a scholarly article about this, which is why I have insomnia. Uh And the writer says that the first film is a parable about the bombing of Hiroshima. This one is about the bombing of Nagasaki. Then in this film, there's a lot more impending sense of doom because they know what's happened the last time. And in this, ah, I see. And it, you've seen the Gareth Edwards one, I think, more recently than I have. Is there a scene where they put lights or flashes in the sky or or smoke in the sky they, to distract Godzilla? They at the final act are skydiving down towards the ground, and either their hips or their feet have these red trails of smoke. Right. That that's what lights up the shape of the monsters in, okay. as they descend. Yeah, because there's a, I think there's that's a reference to something that happens in Godzilla Raids again where they're using the lights. Another thing that, real quick, is there's a, a prison break. Oh. Prisoners yeah. break out of prison. They steal a police car. They drive through the city. They crash into a chemical plant. And wow. the chemical plant explodes and draws Godzilla to the city. Huh. So if you're looking for some action. Seems like it's got a little bit of everything. It has a little bit of everything. There is no um, no musical number. Which shocks. And there's no voiceover from Godzilla bemoaning his place in, <laughs> in life. Where do I belong? But Godzilla raids again. So Great. that's mine. Well, I would like to recommend to you... A movie that it is also a monster movie. Okay. From 1988. And it's actually a remake of a movie from the 50s. Okay. And this is a movie that I saw before I saw the original, which maybe is also why I'm partial to it. However, I feel that this is a remake that services not only better practical effects, but also understands what can be done with the concept. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie called The Blob. Oh, Okay. Now, I really, really love the 1988 blob because I think that, well, what's interesting is it's co-written by Frank Darabont. Yes. And this is around the era in which he was making a sort of a name for himself in writing movie, either sequels or remakes that happened to be really, really successful. Like Nightmare on Elm Street 3, he yes, wrote. Yes, you're right. This is another one that I remember clocking his name in the opening credits and going Shawshank Mm -hmm. that's crazy to think but what is really interesting is this movie I think properly illustrates how a creature like the blob which sounds silly because it's a giant 
bowl. It's a blob of Jello that just. I've never seen. I've seen the original with Steve McQueen, but I the haven't. The only really thing seen this I'll one. give the original a win on is that the original has a theme song. Yes, it does. There is no. There's just you know creepy We're gonna have foreboding to... music in the opening of the original but so the, you have a monster movie with a theme song i don't right so the the cast of the 80s one is sort of a veritable who's who of actors you've seen in lots of other things kevin dillon who most people probably know as one of the guys on entourage oh my god art lafleur I love art lafleur art lafleur plays shawnee smith's dad he was tooth fairy in the in the Santa Claus sequels. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, who's been in a bunch of other uh, Darabont movies. And Paul McCrane from RoboCop. Oh my God, Del Close? He was a famous uh, improv teacher. And the thing I really enjoy about this particular remake is when it gets to really just go for broke with over-the-top creature designs. Because the blob... As I forget if the original movie explains it explicitly, but with the blob coming from outer space, it's sort of an acidic mass that grows bigger and bigger. But if it gets on you, it starts to melt your body and you start to, much like the, the way that the blood of a xenomorph would start to mm-hmm. melt away and decay your body. So there's a fantastic scene that's obviously pulled from the original where it takes place at a movie theater and the blob has somehow made its way into the air conditioning vents it starts to grab people left and right but it makes this huge mass on the ceiling of one of the screens and as someone looks over their shoulder because they think that their date is touching their their shoulder they realize that it's this huge blob tentacle that's crawling from the ceiling and you can see all sorts of body parts that are being strewn about and there's really really grotesque but very interesting practical designed effects to it Mm -hmm. and it's so much fun because it's both so incredibly 80s from the hairstyles to the costumes this is 1988 yeah it is so so soaked in the 80s and it feels like a campy 80s movie but i think that it really enhances what the blob can be because not that the characters are again particularly interesting but i enjoy spending time with the main character meg who's played by shawnee smith i enjoy spending time with kevin dylan's character i think there's a scene you would really like where there's sort of an unlikely romance in this and they don't ever actually fully commit to them being romantic partners but there's a scene where meg is trying to convince uh, Rick Flagg, who's that's Kevin Dillon's character. Rick Flagg? Uh, Isn't that the character also from Suicide Squad? It is indeed, I believe. <laughs> I oh, Brian Flagg. Brian Flagg, okay. Me. I was Rick say, Flagg is Suicide Squad. I thought, Squad. wow. But she's trying to convince him that she saw a blob thing eat her jock boyfriend. And he's not believing her. And he goes, don't get me wrong, but are you seriously whacked out or something? And then he bites into this huge roast beef sandwich. And it's after he's been held for questioning because he's sort of the local bad boy. So the cops think that he's responsible for a few of these deaths. But the kitchen staff says, we're closing up shop. And he's like, come on, Fran. I just, I'm so hungry. And she's like, I'll make you a sandwich. And he goes, 
perfect. Oh, I love that. And she just brings out this huge roast beef sandwich. With, does he have it with mustard? I don't know if they ever explicitly show it. Also, I'm confused because if the kitchen is already closed up, I guess because it's not necessarily a hot sandwich. Remember when I had a roast beef sandwich at the diner and we took it took forever for them to bring them up the uh, the mustard? You might have been done with the sandwich by the time they brought I it over. I was done with the crumbs. <laughs> well, you know, this is... Now, Chuck Russell, mm-hmm. didn't he direct the mask? I believe he did. The, you know... Hold on, sugar! Daddy's got a sweet tooth tonight! Because I feel like they might have been... Did, were they a duo? Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont? They definitely were because I'm realizing here he also was responsible, Chuck Russell that being, for directing Nightmare 3, which oh, okay. uh, so Frank Darabont they, wrote. Yeah. But I have to say, what I enjoy about this is they introduce so many characters throughout the movie. And at a certain point, you start to realize, wait a second, where are they all going? People start getting eaten up and swallowed left and right. And you're suddenly realizing, wait a second, who's going to be left to fight this thing off? And the thing that they, I'm not going to essentially spoil how they defeat the monster, but if you've seen the original movie, they sort of use similar type of tactics, but they relocate the town that this movie takes place in. It's sort of a skiing town that's not quite ready for the town to open up for the ski season. Yeah, okay. But they also haven't had snowfall in however many months. So they're worried that they're not gonna have any tourists, they're not gonna have any economy. I think The Blob is a good movie to remake because the, the the first one was good, but I don't know that it was definitive. And I like a lot of elements of the original. There's the great scene where, I believe, is it Steve McQueen? Mm-hmm. Where he first realizes that The Blob is consuming people and he goes, he's standing outside of that person's house and you just see the hand get smacked up against the window but then it slowly fades away that movie sometimes makes into my holiday my um halloween rotation rotation i don't think it's set at halloween but that's a fun that's like one of those 50s b movies that you you have to have fun with but it's a great movie to remake because it's not perfect and And on top of that too it's i think the way that you said it is not definitive is a really good way to look at it because much like the blob it can be morphed and changed into whatever angle the director wanted to take and i think that the approach they use in this remake really sets it apart as a stellar remake that both pays homage to the original movie but since the original is not necessarily a classic Mm -hmm. in any way it doesn't have to be so tied to how amazing the original movie was much like we talked about with invasion of the body Snatchers. yeah i was just thinking that that's sort of another example of that who plays meg her name is shawnee smith oh from becker uh was she in the ted dancing sitcom becker let's see i know that most horror people would know her as one of the ever growing main characters of the saw franchise let's see here i could have sworn she was on the show becker with ted dancing Let's see. Law and Order LA, Kill Speed, Secret Life of the American Teenager. I'm not seeing Becker see. on here. Oh, she was Linda. Ah. <laughs> she was Linda. On... Most people know her from what? Saw. I know her from Becker, the less good <laughs> Ted Danson's You know what? That, that tracks for you, though. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I'm, I'm going to have to check this one out because I, I'm a casual fan of the original one. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So, we have two... 
monster type of movies. Two monster movies, two uh, underappreciated monster movies. Godzilla Raids Again and The Blob. Blob. And uh, I almost feel, though, that Godzilla would lose against The Blob. If it's really melts. Well, unless Godzilla uses his atomic breath. That's true. Because in the original one, I think it just, like, you just got absorbed. The blob just absorbed you into itself, right? I can't think of another episode where you can talk about the blob, Godzilla, and somehow, quote, that's a spicy meatball. And I'm so excited for when this episode comes out so that I can now, at this moment, right now in time, hear the blob until the universe cracks apart and the sun goes out. I can now forever hear whenever I need to us do this segue into the theme song of the 1954 blob movie. Beware of the blob. It creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor. Right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a splotch. Be careful of the blob. Mini Obsessions is directed and produced by Taylor and Nick Sicario and is a co-production with Tan Productions. Special thanks to Anchor for podcast distribution and to Twin Musicom and Walpurnia Music for providing the score. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for episode details, previews, and more. And check out our blog at obscureobsessionsblog.blogspot.com for movie recommendations, lists, reviews, and articles. We thank you for your continued support. Thank you.